Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today. I just want to say a couple words before our scripture reading from Job 38. Um, Rory Hutchinson is the person I've invited to read the scripture for us. As many of you know, Rory has had such a tremendous uh, and courageous bout with cancer and cancer treatment. Rory is among those people that we talk about, uh, about being too vulnerable to come back into worship. And, And just so important it is that we find ways to incorporate the body of Christ together in worship. And, and so I asked uh, Rory to read this passage. She's reading it from the New King James Version. A reading from Job 38, 1 through 11. And then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if you have understanding, who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? And who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God rejoiced for joy, or who shut up the sea with doors when it broke forth, as if it had issued out of the womb, when I made the cloud the garment thereof, and the thick darkness a swaddling band for it, and break up for my decreed place, and set the bars and the doors, and said, hitherto, Shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. I think uh, such a blessing to have Rory share that with us. I want to read another passage of scripture. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me so far from my anguished groans. My God, I cry out during the day, but you do not answer. Even at nighttime, I do not stop. You are the Holy One enthroned. You are Israel's praise. Our ancestors trusted you. They trusted you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you, and they were saved. They trusted you, and they weren't put to shame. But me, I'm just a worm, less than human, insulted by one person, despised by another. All who see me make fun of me. They gape, shaking their heads. These sound a lot like words that were uttered by Job, 
But these are actually the words that come at the beginning of Psalm 22. You may have recognized the first line as the question that Jesus recites uh, from the cross in Mark 15, 34, hanging from the cross, and just before he breathes his last breath, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Chances are we have been there too. A time when the pain and suffering uh, uh, has made an unwelcome intrusion into our lives. A time when we have felt so God forsaken that we cry out, God, where are you? Over the course of this six-week series on Job, Weathering the Storm, we have really been looking at some foundational questions. You know, why have faith? Why is there suffering? How can we grieve? What should we not say? And last week, is it okay to question God? And throughout this series, many people have have really shared intimately how meaningful um, this series has been to them, and and we are glad for that. And yet, as we come to the end of this series, there are even more questions left to ask, especially about God's presence when we are in the midst of hurting. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the chronicles of Narnia and the Screwtape Letters, he kept a journal following the death of his wife. It was later published as a book under the title, A Grief Observed. And Lewis confessed that while God seemed vivid and available to him in other times and in other circumstances, He felt like God had left him hanging in his time of greatest need. Lewis writes, when you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of even needing God, if you turn to God with praise, you will be welcomed with open arms. But go to God when you're desperate when all other help is vain, and what do you find? The door slammed in your face and the sound of a bolting lock from the inside. And after that, silence. Such a vivid sharing. How can a good God allow innocent people to suffer? It is the overriding question of Job, and it is one that will always be ripe for debate among philosophers and theologians. But but in asking that theological question, why does a good God allow suffering, we can too easily avoid the searing questions that really wrench our hearts. 
the questions that Job raises when he's with his three so-called friends. Today, to close the series, I'd like to address the value of asking our questions. I I think this is a really good follow-up message to Pastor Susan's beautiful sermon uh, last week. And, And I'd like to suggest that it is both the questions we ask and the way that we ask them that matters very much as we seek to live a life of authentic faith. So you may want to take some notes uh, about five observations that are relevant when we consider the questions Job asks his friends and God throughout his ordeal. Now, note, I'm not going to proof text a couple questions. I'm looking at the overall scope of Job's questions and making observations that I think are accurate. And, And so these Five observations, I think, may help us as we seek to ask our own questions. And the first is that Job asks real questions. And what I mean by that is is that any question is a good question as long as it is a real question. You know, teachers will often say that there are no dumb questions But there are certainly phony questions. And and sometimes people just ask phony questions to show that they're smart enough to ask these seemingly brilliant questions or to poke holes in what somebody else has said. And that's what Job's friends do. Or sometimes people ask questions when their real goal is to make a statement or to trick or to embarrass somebody else. And Job's friends do that too. And and, and sometimes people ask questions that are just meant to shut other people up. Job's friends do that too. And Job, his three friends ask him phony questions. and, And their questions are meant to teach Job what they think is true, what they think he's too dumb to notice, or or simply to help Job see the error of the questions he's asking. You know, the Pharisees often ask Jesus phony questions. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to trap him. And, And one of the key differences between a real question And a phony question is that a real question is asked when you're honestly wanting to hear the answer. Not that you're trying to shut somebody else up or come across as morally superior. A second thing about Job's questions is that they come from his heart. Indeed, they explode from his heart. His questions, they're not abstract, philosophical, left-brain questions. They explode from the anguish that he's feeling. Why is this happening to me? 
when life is falling apart and we're dangling in the cutting winds of pain and God seems not to be lifting the finger to help us. We don't ask brainy academic questions, do we? Through our tears, we don't say something like, how can an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God allow suffering? No. Our questions aren't at all like that. Our questions are more like the cry of a distraught child. When she was about six years old, I, I took my daughter to a golf course uh, in Borrego Springs, where we lived. And as she was putting around on the practice green, I just walked into the pro shop to say hello. And, and I could easily keep my eye on her, but she could not see me. And when she noticed I was missing, uh, she stormed into the pro shop. And she asked me a question that still breaks my heart when I think about it. She said, Daddy, why did you leave me alone? Job's questions are like that one. They're a cry from the heart. Why has God left me alone? A third thing we, we should notice about Job's questions is there is a tone of protest. I wrote this before the events of this week. But there's this tone of protest. His questions imply this should not be. I once read uh, of a funeral for a gifted young woman who had died from a terminal illness far too early. And at the funeral, the pastor said this, Dear friends, we have gathered together in the house of God to protest Suzanne's death. Now, some people might think that this isn't an appropriate way for a preacher to talk at a funeral. But if you believe in God and you trust God to keep God's promises, don't you feel like lodging a protest when something happens that should not have happened? Why has my child veered so far away from what is good? Why is my marriage falling apart? Why am I losing my job? Why are tumors invading my body? It's okay. It is okay to ask questions of God as a protest. And that leads straight into the fourth thing that we see in Job's questions, is that it takes very deep faith to ask them. I love how Pastor Susan engaged uh, this last Sunday. So, so this is just a bit of repetition but, but those people who think that questioning God reveals a lack of faith, they have not read their Bibles carefully and thoughtfully.
thoughtfully enough. Because only a person of deep faith dares to look God straight in the eye and say, where were you when I needed you? Only a child who trusts her father to be there when she needs him complains when he's not around. Only a person of a lot of faith dares go straightway to the maker of the cosmos with questions. And note that Job, even as he asks these questions, he never lets go of his faith. He gets right up to the edge, but he never rejects God. And this is why I say, as I said two weeks ago, that the Bible, that the worship book of Israel, it includes so many psalms, rather, the worship book of psalms, and other expressions of lament, because people who have the deepest faith ask the deepest, most searing questions. The Bible is an honest book. And I hate to say it, but some people use it dishonestly. A fifth and final aspect uh, uh, to Job's questions is, is that the questions he's asking can only be answered in an experience. The only good response to our anguished questions can come to us not in words, but in action, not in theory, nor even theology, but in real experience. And that, according to Job, is exactly what happens. Uh, Up until chapter 38, Job has spent much of the previous 37 chapters asking why, and his friends have expended so much much energy with words (laughs) trying to answer. And what becomes clear is that what Job needs most is an authentic understanding of his place within God's creation. So in chapter 38, God takes an enormous risk and responds, not directly to Job's why, but by pointing Job to the grandeur and the beauty and the mystery of creation over which Job has no control. So instead of getting answers to his questions, Job is on the receiving end of larger, bigger questions than he can answer. God asks, who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? As one theologian observes, if asking why is some feeble attempt to get control of life and bring it to sense and better management, God's response to Job leaves him and all of us with a sense of lesser control. 
than before. And note that these are words that come from God's mouth, not anybody else's. And, and for some reason, according to chapter 40, Job is satisfied with God's response. What explains that? I think it's because Job, in chapter 40, has an experience of God, a true experience of God, an encounter where he is met by a mystery larger than his life, and he discovers that the God who created him created him with the same care with which God made the entire cosmos. And it is this experience of God's mystery more than any explanation that is what Job needs most. Now, maybe you can't quite relate to that, but I think we can. You know, there are times in my life where I felt like I am at the end of my rope. I'm filled with anxiety. And my restless brain just won't shut down because I can't find a resolution to the, to the things, the questions I'm struggling with. And at times like these, the best thing that I can do is walk outside and gaze at the night sky filled with stars or get myself to the ocean where I can watch the water and hear the sound of waves crashing on the shoreline. And though I usually, almost never, get a clear answer to whatever it is I've been wrestling with, I'm reminded that there is a power much greater than myself at work in the world. And if this power that I call upon as God, can fill the heavens with stars or create something as, as marvelous and beautiful and powerful as the ocean, I'm reminded that my struggle isn't quite as massive as I've made it out to be. And it is in that moment that the mystery of God embraces me. And I'm left with a sense of peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. Let us be together in prayer. Oh God, we're in a challenging time. Seems that we're filling this time with words and explanations, hurling our preferred rationales uh, back and forth at one another to explain who's seeing it wrong, who's doing it wrong, who's not seeing reality for what it is. God, that we would be struck silent for this time, 
that we would just be met by an experience of your presence and a realization that all of our words, all of our arguments, all of what we think has to be said just doesn't matter. God, let us be quiet. Let us receive your Holy Spirit upon our lives. And yes, if that Spirit invites us to speak, we will know that it is your Spirit because your Spirit is always seeking to bring hope where there is despair. Your Spirit is always seeking to build bridges of connection rather than division. So God... On this day of Pentecost, we invite your spirit to come upon us as it will. In the name of your son and our constant companion, Jesus our Christ, we pray. Amen.